This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. Madden Monday podcast for this week. Tim Benz and Mark Madden with you here at Trib Live. Mark, you can also check him out with me on Madden Benz Unfiltered, 9.30 a.m. on Monday mornings, including Monday morning of this week. Plenty to talk about. Mark had a couple columns that really moved the needle this week at Trib Live. I'll go in sequential order, Mark, the first of which was the post you had about Tom Barrasso making the Hall of Fame. I guess I agree with your overall premise, which is uh, statistically, goalie-wise, championship-wise, he deserves it. Human being-wise, I guess that's why he had to wait 17 years. Yeah, he's just a really bad guy. Um, and make no mistake, Tim, he, had he been an overwhelming pick as a goaltender, he wouldn't have had to wait 17 years. But he was kind of borderline. I mean, you know, a, a worthy pick, but not obvious, so... You know, he reaped what he sowed. It, it took him a while to get in, I guess, better late than never. Plus, he had a preponderance for letting in the occasional really bad goal, like Volek in the 93 playoffs, Fitzgerald in the 96 playoffs. Uh, in, in both years, the Penguins came up short. Uh, in 93, losing in the second round in overtime in Game 7, 96, losing in Game 7 of the conference final. And, you know, he wasn't the only reason they... They didn't do better those years, but again, bad goals. He he did have a knack for winning games, and that's not as simple as it sounds. Like a lot of goalies can't shake off goals, but he was very content to win six five as long as they won, and sometimes he'd win two to one as well, and he'd come up with some big saves. He's the best puck handler I've ever seen, better than Bredor, uh, better than Hextall. So uh, all in all, like I said, he 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 earned a spot in the Hall of Fame, but. Uh, it's also not long that he waited that long either. And those who think that, you know, what kind of person it is should have nothing to do with who's in the Hall of Fame, they're right. It shouldn't, but it does, because these are human beings voting about other human beings. I'm sure Sid and Malkin will be first ballot guys for the Hall of Fame. How about the likes of Fleury, Latang, and does Gonchar get in? Uh Sid will probably be a unanimous pick. I'm not sure how often that happens, but it should happen with him. Uh, I think Gino will get in the first year, too. I think Latang will have to wait a little bit to get in. I think Florio will get in relatively quickly, Tim. His numbers, especially his win numbers, are overwhelming. And, and, and he does have uh, three cup rings and played a major role in winning two of those cups. Plus, that save he made at the death in Game 7 against Lindstrom in 2009 People will remember that, too, so I think Flurry gets in relatively quick. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. He's very borderline. Uh, it, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me either way. wouldn't be outraged either way. How about Kessel? Is he in the conversation with 400 goals or no? See, I don't think he's anywhere near a Hall of Fame player. Uh, I, you know, I mean, the, the, the Ironman streak will help, though. 
you know, the, the most consecutive games played. Yeah, he'll have, some, again, he'll have he some nice that- round numbers too. He'll have three cups. He'll have, he'll if he comes back for one more year, he'll have a thousand points and, uh, like I said, four hundred goals. I wonder if he'll come back next year if it means the end of his Ironman streak. Because don't forget, he got scratched a lot this year, but that was only in the playoffs. His Ironman streak's still alive. I think he would sacrifice the streak having gotten it if it meant getting a thousand, a thousand points. Yeah, I saw the guy play. To me, he's not a Hall of Fame player. I mean, he made a joke of the Ironman thing because he never hit or got hit. I mean, you know, you should be able to play a bunch of games in a row when you're never at risk. But, you know, whatever. I, again, I won't be outraged either way. I think Halls of Fame are mostly stupid anyway. I think they've become Halls of Very Good, all of them. Mark Madden with us. I want to get to your column on Mike Tomlin that seemed to get a lot of response, Mark, in just a little bit. But for the time being, let's stick with hockey because Kyle Dubas met with the media in advance of the draft. He had a lot of things to say but didn't say much with them. Do you buy that he's leaning as strongly as he's indicating to not buying out Granlund? I would think he'd look real bad right off the bat if he did the opposite of the things he said right away. Like, if he bought out Granlund, if he traded the first draft pick, if he traded a prospect like Owen Pickering. You know, if he said he wasn't going to do it, I don't think he's going to do it. Granlund, though, to me, I, I get where he's coming from, Dubis, when he talked about the buyouts being a last resort, but I don't know how many first options you have with Granlund. I, I think Hextall might have been the only guy to take on that contract. I don't know who else would do it, and what would you have to give away for somebody to take it. I, I get his premise. You don't want to be looking at a contract that's still on the books years down the line because of what you did with the buyout, but uh, that might be more advantageous than having a guy who's a black hole anyway while he's actually in uniform. And what, what are you going to give away to, to get rid of him in the first place? Well, you see, Tim, some of the things he's talking about doing or not doing makes me wonder if he really does think the team can still win. If you're not going to trade the first cut pick, you're going to hold on to Owen Pickering. Well, if you think you can win now, you trade those assets to try and win now. Uh, the Granlin thing, you don't want to have that contract on the books due to dead cap hits if you buy them out. But you would save $4.1 million under the cap this year, which would be valuable this year. So it seems to me, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, like he's already hedging his bets. Like he doesn't think this team could win now. And he might go in a totally different direction than that if it doesn't get off to the, the start, he thinks. Or more actually, not start, but if they're not where they should be by the trade deadline of this coming season. You getting a read yet on what he's really thinking about the goaltending situation? No, I don't know how I would. I mean, he's, you know, that was the one thing that's wrong. He didn't make good decisions. Well, actually, that's not true. They said he didn't make good decisions regarding goaltenders, but he always had somebody that like could, could step in and play decent, like Samsonov this year. But, uh, you know, I'm just looking at it from the standpoint, if Jari wants six times six, you can't give him that. It'd be insane. Somebody will. It just doesn't need to be you. The guy I want to see this, the Penguins draft, if they stick with the pick, is Axel Sandin Pelika from Sweden. Number one, I want a guy named Axel on the team. I like that. Number two, his NHL comp is Chris Letang, and that might drive some fans insane, which is very happy for me because that's good for business. Well, Tim, the problem with, with drafting a guy named Axel would be, I mean, you know, I think about, you know, you could be mine, but <laughs> with his big slap wrapping in his cocaine tongue, it gets nothing done. 
I thought you were going to make a November rain reference there or something else, but that was a good one to come up with on the spot. Although, you tend to, with uh, Guns N' Roses references, go to Mr. Brownstone quite a bit. Yeah, but I hope he's not hooked on Smack this <laughs> I don't know if they got good stuff in Sweden or not. I've never been. I can't I can't comment. Oh, thanks everywhere. Can't believe me. <laughs> what I read about them, there, there seem to be some Latang traits there, and that's... That's not a bad thing if they want defensemen who can move the puck, even though he's a way off from making an impact, I'm sure. Yeah, but don't forget the, the point, to get back to what I said a moment ago, the point about, you know, whoever they draft, he won't be ready for how long. And that does fail to coincide with the motif that they're supposed to do whatever they can to win in the waning years of Sid, Gino, and Latang. Yes, I get it. Yeah, it's because and they're not going to. Okay, Sid's not going to win another cup with Pittsburgh. None of those guys are, that group. And, you know, you can maybe, you know, make the playoffs win a series, but what is Dubas, you know, being asked to do here? I'm glad he took the job. It's a really tough job. And it's a contradictory job. It's, 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 we pretty much nothing but contradict ourselves during this conversation. <laughs> When it comes to the UFAs, Mark, aside from Jari, uh, would you keep Zucker? Would you keep Dumoulin? Um, who, who's out there that you would want to see them retain? Well, Zucker, people are talking like he would get $5 million a year, right? Roughly, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's too much for a guy who was hurt every year he played in Pittsburgh for this past one. I wouldn't be blinded by recency bias. Uh, and I think Dumo's just shot. Would, would I take Dumo back? Dumo back? One year at whatever minimal figure, maybe. But I think this team needs to change. I think Dumoulin could go to a good team and be for that team like what Ron Hainsey was when he came to Pittsburgh. But the problem with Dumoulin, if he were to stay in Pittsburgh, even at a significantly reduced rate mark, is I just think they default into putting him back with Latang anyway. Well, I think that's the problem with the coach. I think he defaults back into a lot of things, but that's probably for another podcast but um yeah i uh, and plus what's to a team might overpay Dumo or give him a couple years because he does have you know a couple stanley cups last thing on hockey mark bedard do you see him as being as close to generational as mcdavid and sid have been, been claimed to be like do you see bedard on that level i haven't seen him enough to know definitively but uh the way people are talking yeah I've just never seen anybody move like McDavid. I, I honestly think that the comp might be easier to see the movement that McDavid has and the speed. I, I just don't know how anybody could equate to that. Yeah, maybe one of these days he'll even play in the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know that he will. Uh, does he play his whole career in Edmonton, you think, or does he wind up somewhere else trying to do that, a la Ray Bork, for instance? Uh, well, we're a long way away from him getting the Ray Bork you know, juncture. Ray Bork was almost done when he left up. I, I don't know. If I were him, I'd want out, put it that way. Because that management team, that ownership group shows no sign of putting it together. Mark, you wrote a column about Mike Tomlin in the wake of that Pro Football Network poll that had him rated as the third best coach in the National Football League. I, th I thought it took a lot of guts of Pro Football Network to run a poll from the year 2008 where he was rated behind Belichick and Reed. My God. <laughs> I thought you meant literally for a second. That's uh, <laughs> uh, very good. Almost slipped that right by me there. Uh, no, I mean, you know, yeah, I don't even know what Pro Football Network is. 
but the ranking him third is just typical of, of how he gets this praise for being something he used to be but just isn't anymore. He is simply not an elite head coach anymore. I'm not saying fire him. I'm not saying he didn't do what he has done. He's just not elite. And the challenge I make people to him, and if you'd like to take it up, feel free. Tell me how he's defined as elite currently. After no playoff wins in six years, three playoff wins in 12 years, and having wasted a Hall of Fame quarterback a lot of those years with him, and Bellin Brown. He's had great resources and hasn't done much. And now he's a guy like T.J. Watt who's never won a playoff game. He's not elite because the franchise is no longer elite. 14 teams, 14 different teams have made the Super Bowl since the Steelers last did. That's 44% of the league. By definition, they're not elite. It's not elite to have 10 years out of the last 12 where you don't have a playoff victory. There's no way he can be qualified as elite. If you want to say he has an elite resume because he's checked a lot of boxes and has done so for a long time and has never dipped below 500, that's one thing. But for now... There's no way you could call him a leak because there's nothing the Steelers have done since 2010 that's been worthy of that praise. I'm not even sure you can call his resume a leak. Only a quarter of it's even any good. You know, he's going to get a contract soon. Sean McDermott just got one. That'll get him through, I think, 2027. Tomlin will get one. It'll bring up a lot of this conversation, a lot of this vitriol. I'm just a little tired of having it. Um, I'm writing about it, though, for the Trib on Monday because... Well, for similar reasons that you brought up, Mark, I mean, I, I can't have the conversation and pretend that I'm a national media member that's just going to fall back to, well, he's never had a losing season, and that's good enough to say he's one of the best. Yeah, and that's what got me talking about. I'm tired of him being called something he's not, and I'm tired of being treated like I'm an idiot because I don't blindly agree. Like, the, the definition of Tom being elite is basically, oh, just because. He's elite. Everyone knows he's elite. His players love him. And don't you know he's never had a losing season? It's just drivel. The ironic part about it is, you know, for the guy who coined the standard is the standard, to just say you're elite because you go 9-8 and eight and have never dipped below that is kind of an insult, isn't it? I-, I would find it very insulting if that's truly what I believed. Yeah, but, but to be honest, you know, the Steelers, Tomlin, the players... The fans, a lot of the Stooge media, the cover the Steelers, they just think if you say Tomlin's elite a lot, and you say the Steelers are a great organization a lot, they can speak it into truth, and the results have nothing to do with it. But we know that that's not true. Well, that pe- the results yeah. are everything. People were doing that a lot in, you know, like between 2011 and the end of Ben's run, at least until he blew out his elbow. Like, between 2011 and 2019, you heard a lot of that. Well, the Steelers win by running the ball and playing defense. No, they don't. <laughs> they were winning those regular season games and staying competitive because Roethlisberger was throwing for 12 touchdowns over the span of two weeks, like we saw in 2014. Like, it is very much an organization that has things spoken into existence on its behalf by the media quite a bit. Well, no, they're a fraud. He's a fraud. For, the, for a long time now. I mean, there's no real nice way to put it. But again, it's, it, it, you looked upon as blaspheming if if you say he's not elite. He's just not elite. There's no way to describe him as elite. Mark Madden here in the Madden Monday podcast on Trib Live. Speaking of frauds, Mark, how about 20-8 and eight to start the season for the Pittsburgh Pirates? 
I thought it was 29, but okay. Uh, well, it's 29 through the end of April. They were 28 at one point, then they lost their last game of April. So that, that's yeah, I guess they never were any good. I mean, they actually fooled me a little bit. I thought they might be, you know, a 500 E team, but now they're going to be nothing near that. And they just can't hit at all. And one thing that you got to think about is how Cincinnati and them have been in a similar position, only Cincinnati for a much shorter time trying to rebuild and the Reds did it almost instantly, turned things around so quickly, and now they've zoomed past the Pirates. And I'm beginning to think it's because their baseball people know what they're doing and are better than the Pirates baseball people, and also because the Reds will spend money when they have to, and the Pirates don't. Like, the Reynolds contract, that was just a token you know, way to bamboozle the fans. Hey, you know, we're going to be for real, blah, blah, blah. And Renzo's done enough to take it. Then again, maybe he was smart today because he's not done much to merit it since then. They brought up Davis. They brought up Gonzalez. Priester just had a real good start. Rodriguez homered today. So I wouldn't be surprised if those guys come along next. I'm almost getting the feeling, though, Mark, that they're showing the fans their prospects so as to distract them for how quickly they've fallen off a cliff. Do you think there's any merit to that? For sure they are. They always do that. Everything with them is is, is a PR spin. One thing I think they should do, Tim, and I'm going to talk about this length on my program, is uh, they should draft schemes instead of crews. The two LSU guys, they should take the picture, not the outfielder, just because even if it fails and he gets on trouble, or just doesn't turn out, they need schemes more than they need crews. Crews will just be like a, a little stopgap, a guy who can hit kind of another Brian Reynolds. If you put schemes and Keller can keep pitching like he is at the top of the rotation, then maybe you have a chance to be decent. I don't disagree with that. I'm not going to pitch a fit one way or another if they take either of the LSU guys, so long as they don't play the slot game and go with a high schooler or something like that, I'll be fine with either pick. The only thing that irritates me, Mark, and I, I can't remember where you fell in this debate between Leiter, uh, the kid that was the pitching prospect that was to be drafted, Texas ended up taking when they took Davis. You know, there's a lot of conversation about which guy should they take, and I was on the side of taking the pitcher out of Vanderbilt. And all I heard from the Pirates blockers was how stupid that was. You go with the hitter because they might sign the hitter to a second contract. You go with the hitter because the hitter doesn't get hurt. You go with the hitter because he's a more known commodity. Well, right. You go with the hitter because all you want to do is reach some level of mediocrity. But now it's completely That's why you flipped. go with the hitter. That's, that's, that's basically what's being said. He hasn't worked out that great since leaving Vanderbilt. I get it. But at the same time, it's like... that. Those arguments shouldn't change just because the player changes. Now, I feel like a lot of people are embracing the Skeens thing in the pirate blogosphere because, well, it almost looks smarter to say pick the other guy instead of Dylan Cruz. I really don't care. I I just think some people are being hypocritical based on the blowback I got for suggesting they should have taken a pitcher last year. Well, another reason I would take Skeens is because the way people are talking, he could be here as early as next year. And they need to do something quicker than this is going. Last thing on the Buckos, Mark. Uh, Derek Shelton came under fire for how he managed, what was it, Thursday's game, where they got burned by taking Henry Davis out of right field for a defensive replacement, and they couldn't figure out how to bridge the gap between Keller leaving after 107 pitches in the seventh and getting to Bednar in the ninth. 
the way that Shelton handled that? Was he right to go with the two kind of midline middle relievers, or what would you have done in that situation? When your team stinks and can't hit, it's pretty tough to parse uh, managerial decisions like that. Uh, could he have done it better? Of course he could have. Does it matter when, like, I don't know, I don't know what, who the guys are, but I don't remember reading on Twitter today, today's Sunday, that, like, they have five hitters that have combined for one for their last 73. So when five of your regular hitters are one for the last 73, you could have Casey Stengel dipped in John McGraw with the side of Jim Leland to manage it, and it just wouldn't matter. Mark, how was the concert you went to on Friday, and how was the event at the Lamp? Well, the thing with Lamp, the Lamp, where McIntyre interviewed me, John McIntyre, XCPCNC, that was good. We had about 50 people there. I wouldn't say they were hanging from the Raptors, but it was a fun event. And uh, I saw Winger and uh, Tom Kiefer, X of Cinderella. That was the Kiefer headlined. And um, actually, there was an opening to John Karabi, the guy who was the Motley Crue villain for one album. Okay. He's with Dead Daisies now. He did an acoustic set to open. So, yeah, it was really good. Uh, good theater in Reading, not that far a drive, so I enjoyed it. Uh, it is funny, though. Kiefer and Brett Michaels and guys like that, like, uh, unless I miss my guess, and when I say unless I miss my guess, Tim, I'm telling you, but I know this to be a fact, but I really don't want to go into the details. <laughs> it, it, it's funny how they can make more money without their groups, the singers. Well, they just net more now because they could pretty much, they will pretty much sell close to what they would have sold anyway, and then it all goes to them. Well, no, they they, they would sell more if they if like Cinderella or Poison opened up like for well, Poison did open up for Def Leppard and Motley Crue for the stadium right. tour, remember? Right. Yeah. But then it's a four-way partnership between the four Poison members, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas Brent Michaels or Tom Kiefer, when they go out as Brent Michaels of Poison or Tom Kiefer of Cinderella, they just pay a backup band a salary. How's Kiefer sound? Didn't he have all sorts of vocal problems at one point in his life? He did for a while, but he's fine now. That's good. That's good because he's got he's one fine of the, now. He he he's got one of the more unique voices in rock and roll. He is a true blues rock guy. A lot of guys say that, but he really is it. And uh, I think Cinderella, I think it's their second album, Long Cold Winter. Yeah. Was really a blues rock classic. It remains one of my favorite albums. He looks weird, though. He's like real white and pale. He, he, he looks he looks like a really old teenager. <laughs> well, it's been or, a long, cold winter, or, maybe. <laughs> or, or Yeah, right. Or maybe like one who got left in the microwave a little too long. Mark Madden, he'll be on with me for Madden Benz Unfiltered, 9.30 a.m. Monday morning. You can check us out every week for the Madden Monday podcast right here at Trib Live.